Hello and welcome to Be With Champions. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. Today I have a wonderful conversation with Nino Schurter from Switzerland. Nino is probably arguably one of the greatest mountain bikers of all time. And more importantly, I think he's one of the greatest athletes that we have in the world today. We discussed on this show about his incredible team at Scott Schramm and the incredible people behind him that have helped him get to the top of the world and then sustain it for over a decade. Um, we, we go into depth about his training and his nutrition advice and altitude training, his sleep and recovery, and his Olympic experiences, both the highs and lows. Um, he gives some great advice on, on equipment and tire choices and bike selection and just was a wonderful conversation with a, a true gentleman and just a, a great champion of the sport. If you're enjoying the show, please share, subscribe, give any feedback or any reviews. I'll, I'll do the very best I can to get back to each and every one of you. I really appreciate any of that feedback that you have. Um, but enjoy this episode. I really did. So thanks for listening. All right. Today's guest is arguably the greatest mountain biker of all time. He's raised the bar on what it takes to win. A brief glimpse of his resume is extraordinary. Three Olympic medals with gold in Rio, silver in London, and bronze in Beijing. He's an eight-time world champion, seven-time World Cup Series champion. He's won 32 World Cups, plus junior world championships, two times under 23 world champion, five-time team relay world champion, and an unheard-of undefeated perfect season in 2017. And when he's not winning, he's on the podium. His passion for what he does is visible in his training, racing, and his everyday life. He's an incredibly well-rounded champion with tremendous desire, discipline, and dedication, combined with a real love for what he does. You can see the fun that he's having on the bike. And all of this makes him one of the most relatable champions in the world. He's living his life with absolute intent and optimizing everything he can to get the most out of himself. It's a real thrill and an honor to have joining me on Be With Champions, one of the world's all-time greatest athletes, Mr. Nino Schurter. Thanks for joining me, mate. How are you? Yeah, no, great. Yeah, I'm doing good. Uh, just a bit of, of a strange situation right now, but I think it's for everybody the same all over the world. Um, yeah, but we are all healthy and that's the most important thing. Yeah, where, where are you at the moment? Are you on full lockdown? Um, we, I'm now in Switzerland, back home with my family. Mm-hmm. We have, we don't have a complete lockdown. We are still, we are allowed to go out. I'm allowed to go out to, to ride, but, uh, you're not allowed to meet with other people. So there are no more than, uh, five people together, but I actually train now by my own. I actually just with my family together. So to, to try to minimize the contact, uh, with, with everybody. So. And I think uh, that's the only situation or the only possible way to get out of this situation that we all really try to to follow the restrictions and follow our to have as less contact with other people to to actually get soon out of this situation. Mm. We are able to go back to to racing or to normal life. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's a strange time, and the the social distancing is they they're called. I actually feel like there's a fair bit of social going on. It's just uh, via the internet. I think it's more like people distancing rather than social distancing. And I was saying to my wife, uh, you know, we have a two year old and a, and a newborn who's ten weeks old, and 
for, for the past 10 weeks, I kind of feel like I've already been social distancing or people distancing just by having such young kids. I haven't been out of the house at all for quite a while. And, and then running this podcast, I, I kind of don't, don't tend to get out into the groups much anyway. So our life didn't change except for my in-laws are now home more often. So we have more babysitters. So um, hmm. yeah, if anything, this little period for us has given us a little bit more freedom. But wow. anyway, today I want to sort of discuss with you a lot about you. Um, you're, you're one of the true champions, like I said at the top of the show, that um, you know, from a young age, you, you've shown some, some great talent and ability and you've gone on to, to reach the top of the world and, and really maintain it for such a long, long time. And what I first want to do is sort of wind the clock right back and ask you, when did you sort of first find your passion for the bike and specifically endurance sports? Yeah, it's it's hard to define one moment, but I grew up in a in a small village in the mountains where you, yeah, you you almost have to do something outdoor, and uh, there's not a lot, a lot of things other things to do. So I, from from a young kid, we yeah was a lot outside. I played a lot with my brother outside, and we we discovered quite early like riding bikes, and we both had really fun to ride. And I think. Um, that's that's really where I have my roots from to be just outside on my bike and just to enjoy it. That's what I'm still trying to do now. When I go training, I, I try to, to have as much fun as, as possible. And uh, yeah, I then I started to do races. I was was from from yeah from the first races quite successful and that for sure helps as well to to be really motivated to keep going to train more to do more races and i i actually grew into this and some of a sudden i realized i'm i'm now a professional and uh, <laughs> that's going to be my yeah my job <laughs> yeah i found i found myself even even sort of growing up in sydney and it was beating up on my mates a little bit and my brothers when i could or or whatever and the little pats on the back that you got from winning just little events, you know, and it was just like, okay, even if you didn't win, even if you were just sort of near the pointy end of the race, it was amazing how that kind of f- just fueled that passion for you to love the sport even even more. And was there a point where you were like, was it over time or was there one sort of moment you remember going, actually, I'm I'm pretty good at this? Like there was a, was a beating up on your brother or, or was it <laughs> something more? Yeah, it's – it's really hard just to define one moment. I think I I really just got into this, and I I we put like I think my brother was really important because we really from yeah, when I was six or seven years old we 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 had a lot of competition always going on, and I think that really really yeah started early in us to to actually do those competitions and uh, really um, try to do as good as possible. Mm. And uh, I think one of the key moments was when I when I realized if I want to keep going like this, like with training, racing, I need to to do uh, a special apprenticeship where I have a bit more time, or uh, like I can't do uh, a normal job uh, or learn a normal job with that much training and racing. And that's where actually it was the moment where I really make the decision. I want to try to get a, a professional athlete, mm. and from there on, I re- 
I yeah I I tried my best to yeah to to be as strong as possible and uh, yeah to, to be as fast as possible. <laughs> and so, what year was that? And how old were you when when that kind of decision was made? Uh, that's when when you're in Switzerland when when high school actually ends. Um, mm. You need to to see if you go to to study or you, we have it's like a session where you you like an apprenticeship for to learn a job. Um, and there you really need to make if you if you do a normal job and you learn a normal job, you probably don't have enough time anymore to do to do a sport like a endurance sport like mountain bike is where you have to invest a lot of time. Then you probably some something in your life is going to mm-hmm. uh, to to suffer even if uh, maybe it's just time with your friends that's also important or. T- time that you you should train or time you should uh, invest in, in learning your job. So that was the key moment. I think that with 16 years old, where I really said I want to do a job where I have still time um, to to train enough. And I did uh, like an apprenticeship, like a, multi- a mix between multimedia design and uh, informatic. Um, um instead of four, over four years over four, five years and i had always time to to train and going to training camps or to races and mm. um, yeah yeah so it was a good way of sort of balancing it out um doing your studies a little bit of study and mm. when was your first uh sort of contract then that you signed was it a, just a random sponsorship or was it did you sign with the team immediately um the first team was a, the I'm actually since ever on Scott bikes, but uh, the first team was like a smaller Scott, Scott Switzerland team, Scott Allianz was this this time, and that was 2000, I think so. Um, then I was just uh, yeah, was just actually to a similar time when I also decided to 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 do this this special apprenticeship, uh, and then soon after I had the chance to to get into the team with. Thomas Frischknecht, the team I'm still now, mm-hmm. and uh, that was for sure also like a, a big move to early uh, to get in a really professional team. I think that's also one of the key moments in my career that I was able to join a really a professional team early, and I were able to actually to to follow then Frisch's steps and learn a lot from him and avoid like this a lot of of mistakes that a lot of people are doing yeah um, and that that's an extraordinary part of your, your your life because for people that don't know thomas Frisch, frischneck was uh, or frischy as they call him it really was coming out of the 90s when when mountain biking was really taking off he he was really one of the the main guys you know he won the 96 world championships and silver in the olympics in 96 and and so when he sort of recognized your ability and and to some degree took him under your under his wing and 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 really bring you into that professional team at a reasonably young age were you were you 17 18 when he kind of brought you in yeah i think it was 16 when i got to his, 16 to his team yeah and uh, <laughs> for sure he's 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 one of the most important uh, persons uh, in my career he he helped me really a lot and uh, just yeah, just to avoid those mistakes you normally do uh, uh, as a young athlete and uh, be able to learn from the, from the very best. He was to this time he was Mr. Mountain Bike. He was really mm. the 
the man in the sport and I was able to learn from him from from the really beginning when I was the first uh, first year in the junior category and uh, yeah though yeah I, 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 I must say I was probably a lot in my career a, a lot of good luck that I met the right people uh, really early like like he Thomas Frischknecht but also then my trainer was to the same time I met it's the same trainer I still have now. I'm training now, uh, yeah, almost 20 years together. And uh, like to be able then to to have the right people and and uh, yeah, learn from each other and go together and then have a, a such a long relationship. Um, yeah, that that helps a lot to get better and better. I know that's an extraordinary part of your career. It's like you you said you you signed with Scott. You've ridden Scott bikes your entire career. Um, you've had Thomas in your corner the your whole career, which is about eighteen, seventeen, eighteen years now. I, I, I imagine. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and then you, you mentioned your coach. I joined this team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then your coach trainer, uh, his name's Nicholas Siegenthaler, Nicholas. right? Exactly. Yeah. I uh, and uh, for anybody that wants to see some of your workouts, there's a great documentary um uh, hunt for glory right and yeah, exactly. it's just phenomenal which shows i think it was uh, around chapter nine part one and two which shows some of your gym workouts and for people stuck at home go go check out that to get some ideas of some of the some of the things that you can be doing um at home whether you're using some of the equipment that nino was was using or you make up some of your own stuff but i know for myself you know when i retired from being a professional athlete in triathlete in 2016 i, I really took up mountain, mountain biking and really fell in love with it very quickly so i started watching a lot of your videos that were all coming out then at that sort of 2015 2016 and then i i watched you you know during the olympics and i'd of course heard of you the years before i have a lot of swiss friends that i've raced but it was um it was fantastic just to be able to see the kind of work that you were doing that you'd built over time with Nicholas that was very, very specific to what you needed to have done on the race course as, as a mountain biker. Um, so was there a point in your career where, you know, you, you started off coming out of the gun pretty pretty well? I mean, you won a European title and then a, a world junior title um, at a young age and then went on to sort of win two under-23 world titles. Were you kind of always fairly intense about what you wanted and what you were aiming to do? Or was there a point where you were like, okay, this is now my professional job. I really think I can be the the world's greatest here. Um, was there a moment where you're like, okay, let's really go all in here and and, and make sure I, I win that Olympic gold medal? Or, or, or was it kind of just gradually building over time? Yeah, I think I'm for sure... <laughs> A quite a competitive personality i like to compete and i don't like to lose so <laughs> um and that's i always set my goals really high from from the beginning and and when i didn't win i was always uh, disappointed so i i really from early on i think i really tried to to really give everything and I was I was just satisfied when I really were able to to actually also win and I really I, since the beginning I asked a lot for myself mm -hmm. and yeah I think that's that's yeah for sure a part of me to to always try to give my best and to 
to to ask a lot from from myself and luckily i also had the talent and as just we said before the right people around me maybe to go back to my trainer that was also really i was really lucky he was one of the first uh, coaches that were really focused on mountain bike you know in the in the, in the 90s and uh, early 20s a lot of the coaches they were actually just trying to to bring the same uh, training from the road to the mountain bike but road and mountain bike is so different it's like it's two different sports um, you you need to train completely different to be a strong uh, mountain biker uh, than a strong road driver and he really realized that early and I started uh, from the beginning do a lot of force training a lot of upper body as well like a lot of core training to mm. to actually also to bring that in into the into the cycling training and uh, that's that's for sure as, as well a big point why why I was able as well to 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 be that successful from from the beginning it was almost like I've talked about it on this show before but I believe there's some people that tend to have a they're, they're somewhat born to win um, and what I mean by that is there's that confidence, there's that that knowledge that you know what you want at a young age and you're prepared to to go after it, that you're not comfortable with not winning, that you you, you much prefer winning and, uh, and the way you deal with disappointment is, is kind of, that's interesting, I'll, I'll kind of want to get back to that with you but I talk about it with my own career that I didn't have that through most of my 20s and and even early 30s that I had to build that confidence and that belief in myself through a lot of mental strategies and and, and changing my training and and I went from a winning rate of about eight percent to closer to 50 percent of the races I went you know from my, into my late 30s um, and, and for me it was looking back I I often sort of refer to it as if I could talk to my 17 year old self what would I say? And, and it's a lot of what you just said then. It's it's about having a belief in yourself, um, having that confidence and doing everything you can to optimize yourself so you, so you don't have those disappointments or regrets of, of not winning. Um, and that's not to say that you've won every race you've been in. And, I, and I'm sure when we look at things like, you know, London Olympics where I think, you know, 2012, you were, you were one of the favorites, Um I, including Cool Harvey and uh, Julian Absalon, you, you three were kind of the dominant three. And then, you know, you you did so much work through that 2012 Olympics in, in London and just got out-sprinted uh, at the very end to take the silver medal. How was that, and when we talk about disappointments, how, how did you react to that? And did that flatten you for a while or were you able to sort of pick yourself back up and get going again right away? Yeah, in the first moment it was a <laughs> it was a really big disappointment because I was so close. I was one, yeah, I was race favorite, and um, then I got out sprinted by twenty centimeters, and uh, <laughs> a lot of people said, "Yeah, I did a mistake in the last corner. I actually opened up in her window there," and I was like, "Yeah, it was I was for a while really disappointed, but now looking back, I think it was exactly the." The right thing that had to happen um, mm. I knew I need to to work in the other four years doing my best and really even be better in in Rio and I think for my career it was actually good I 
I mm-hmm. just get second. Second is still, yeah. Uh, but for me, it was the first moment of really big, big disappointment. But you never know, you know. Now looking back, I was able to win four years later. But mm-hmm. maybe if it would go another way, then you never know if you have this chance again, again, or yeah. If if you work hard and you're so close. Uh, then it's in the first moment it, it is better but uh, um, now looking back it's it's the perfect way bronze silver and then gold <laughs> no it's it really is a, i don't know how many other olympians have done it like that actually yeah yeah i was so you know you you got the bronze medal when you were 22 in beijing um then to get that silver in, in london and then the way that you what it looked like in 2016 in rio was that it looked like you were always under control. I don't know how it felt for you, but it looked like you paced the first half of the race and that you were ready to do something special the second half. And and I found that um a lot of the a lot of the TV coverage and the hype was about um oh God, names just Peter Sagan. Peter Sagan. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. A uh, little brain fart there, everybody. So yeah, Peter Sagan was coming over and he was going to and did that phase you or did that help take some of the pressure off you going into to Rio? Um, for sure, I was also a bit nervous. Uh, you know, Peter is a, is a really talented athlete and uh, probably one of the best cyclists uh, in this world. But I also knew it's, it's almost impossible to just show up uh, to some mountain bike races and then to be uh, one of the world's best. It's actually... Even for a talent like him, I was sure um, it's going to be impossible to be on the very best. Just that there's also need to to think. It's not just like how you perform. It's also what what decisions you are going to do. What what tires you're going to use. What what how you set up your bike. You you can't have that knowledge with just coming to a few races and then think you can be one of the really best. So I knew. I, or I was always sure, sure he's probably, if he's he able from the performance here to compete with, with the very best, he's probably going to do a, a mistake and probably have a, a, a mechanical or a crash. So I never was too nervous about him. And uh, But yeah, uh, he's for sure was, he gave some, some, uh, some good, uh, Extra, how you want to say, extra uh, publicity, salt and, salt and pepper to the to the race, and uh, <laughs> yeah, no, he did, and I, um, I, I think he, he did end up puncturing, right? I think, like you said, he's he tired, yeah. and uh, yeah. you know that's the, the difference. Yeah, he, had, with, uh, he, had, he, he had two punctures during the race, and that shows probably even he chose the wrong wrong uh, tires or had the wrong setting or. He was just not able to ride the right lines because just that's as well like to get used riding your bike over rocks to exactly know how much how hard you can go over those rocks without um, uh, taking the risk to to have a mechanical. That's that's something that's I think it's wow. almost impossible to just learn that quick. Like there's so many things just next to your your fitness and your performance like and, oh, i love uh, that i love yeah, that yeah. i love that you your your 
there's a reason your resume looks like it does when, when you're looking at the weight and the way you want to ride over rocks within the course and how that could affect you mechanically. I, I And look, I'm a bit naive when it comes to mountain biking. I like to think of myself as an okay mountain biker, but I'm, I'm kind of rubbish, I'm sure. But I love that you're you're looking at it and i know you've surrounded yourself with a, a great team your, your mechanic uh, yannick geiger has been with you for a long long time too and and i did see an interview with yannick before the rio olympics and he was obviously pretty nervous you know because <laughs> things can happen he and was, I think he was, was probably more nervous than i yeah. he was like if something goes wrong on the bike now I'm <laughs> i know i know but what was incredible was that is is you know you won that olympic gold in 2016 and then like i said at the top of the show in the introduction you went on into 2017 and went completely undefeated and that in itself i'm not sure it's ever been done before correct me if i'm wrong but to basically win every world cup series the world championships cape epic which i don't think you'd done before which for those that don't know is an eight-day uh marathon mountain bike stage race and and probably the out of all of them, it's the number one that everybody wants to win. And you went and won that. And how did you get through 2017 physically in shape, mentally ready to go, emotionally, you know, dealing with the highs and the lows throughout the year and staying healthy? But then your bike and your equipment stayed true for the entire season. And uh, that was the remarkable story about 2017. Yeah, it was for sure a really, really special season. I think uh, – yeah, we did for Rio. We did really everything to optimize. We 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 tried to to make our bike as safe as possible, as as good as possible. Uh, I tried to optimize every small thing, and we took the year after. We took really advantage of that as well to mm. to have just the, the best bike to 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 know what's really best for for myself to compete of the on the highest level, and then maybe the most important thing. For me, like a lot of pressure was gone. Like I, I won my big goal. I won those Olympics, mm. and I was like, "What's coming now? It's it's <laughs> all just just extra." And I had, I wasn't on all the start lines. I was in this year. I was like, "Yeah, if it's going good, it's good. If not, it's it's not a problem." So I was probably one that was the most relaxed at the start. Like I was. Yeah, let's <laughs> let's try it, and that makes you. I think that's where yeah. the the most athletes are losing uh, the most if they they are standing themselves in in their ways because they are too mm. too nervous, or they. And if you are able to somehow just to to leave that to the side and say it's actually not as important how I end up, I just want to show my best. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that made me so so strong in 2017, and I still take advantage now from that. With knowing, I actually reached all my 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 goals I set me on day, and uh, I just now I want to try to beat as many rockets as possible and <laughs> try to be as long as possible at the top. And uh, I think that makes it much more, or makes it for myself easier um yeah to, to uh, compete on the highest level it's scary for your competition really <laughs> i mean I, I use the example actually your, your countryman uh roger federer and he's in the same kind of boat i think he's he's won so much that when he's you know down a couple of sets he has in, nothing in, to prove anymore 
Exactly. Yeah. And, and when the guy across the court's playing him, trying to win their first ever Grand Slam or, you know, they're, they're across the court from it, the US Open or whatever, and they're just like, oh, I've made it to the final, I've made it to the final. And Roger's going, well, I've won 20 plus of these things or whatever <laughs> number he's up to now. He, he know, has it's, that. It's always in every situation you are, you need to have that self-confidence. That's probably mm. coming back like we just talked before, like to get in every situation you are, if you are now the one that everybody wants to beat or you are the one that wanted to beat the, the really best now, if you somehow can can get that self-confident, uh, then you're really going to be able to use all uh, your whole um, potential, I think so. And mm. uh, I think I, somehow I, I managed to get that early in my career. I was able to, ah, now really absolute, I want to beat this guy. I can beat <laughs> this guy. And now I see it all the way around that and uh, I say, yeah, for myself, I don't have to prove anything anymore. I just try to be as good as possible. Well, that was it. Anybody that um, mm-hmm. is new to mountain biking or just to give you a little bit of the the great history that you had with Julian Absalon, who you just mentioned, um, the French cross-country two-time Olympic gold medalist, phenomenal athlete in his his own right, and the battles that you guys had there for many years. And it was it was thrilling racing. And it was like he was the climber and you were the better descender. And then the next season you'd worked on your climbing, so now you were matching him, but he'd worked on his descending so he could, you know, maybe get a little closer to you. I think you still I think that's you still had the little step on him there. But it was phenomenal racing. And I think we love that in sport when you see two great champions going at each other and if more recent for you it's uh another young guy is coming over from from another spot sport from cyclecross uh matthew uh vanderpoel and he's he's uh improved in the mountain biking a bit like you almost said with sagan that i think he came over mm. thinking he was going to dominate but there was a little bit that he had to actually pace you and learn how to treat the bike and the equipment and the pacing and everything else. And it's a 90-minute race, not a, you know, one-hour race. And and I think um, this past year, it looked like he really started to give you a little bit more of, okay, I've got a real competitor here. How did that sort of past year racing him, did that put a little fire in your belly? Yeah, I think that's another important thing in my career that I always had like those, those um great rivals like Julia Absolo, then as well as was, was uh, Jaroslav Kulabi, like those mm-hmm. big battles, if you know, you need to give your very best to beat those guys and work as your very best to, to, to be, uh, to match them. Um, I think th- those, those competitions you really need as well as an athlete to see uh, if you want to beat those guys and you, you need to get to be really best. And I was lucky, always had to, those those great rivals. Like I still now, if to rem- remember back those battles with Julie Absolo, I mm. still have those in great memories. Sometimes mm. he won, sometimes I won. And uh, that that for sure made me uh, as well stronger and stronger. And now and was- as well, like with, with, with Mathieu as well, it's, it's, it's on mm. one point it's hard now to see it's a guy coming he he, he can beat me i think <laughs> as well to to get better to 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 beat him and uh, i think as well now he but he also now had three years to get there mm. um but now he's really he's probably uh, 
the the hardest uh, rival to beat and probably also a favorite for the for the for this season if we still have a season yeah. <laughs> um, no for sure <laughs> um, uh, and but i for myself it's also now good to have him to 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 actually have a name i want to beat this guy so yeah mm, mm. Well, the one thing that you and Julian for sure did and Cool Harvey and you all seem, I mean, you know, we're, we're chatting now, but you come across as, as true gentlemen and there's a great respect uh, with each other. You all seem to to really speak about each other with great respect and and I think that, that shows a, a sport of great camaraderie that there is this look we're all going to hell and back we all suffer together but at the end of the day there's only going to be one winner but you seem to hold each other in in really great regard and i, I think that's fantastic it comes across that way i mean maybe you're like <laughs> actually no greg i can't stand julian he's a real prick but <laughs> it, it seems to me like no, you really no, all no, get along very well you get along really well and i think like yeah this to have this respect is really you need to have that even if you battle uh, as hard as you can doing the race but mm. respect is a is a major thing and uh, i think if you don't have respect uh from your rivals you all also don't or, or aren't able to to actually beat on your high on your highest possible uh level i think that's something really important as well it's also important you know you, we spend a lot of time actually traveling around the world and we meet everywhere we go we meet again the same people and we actually want to <laughs> have also like a, yeah sometimes have a, a nice chat together and not it's not always about uh who is the no. <laughs> <laughs> so i just want to move on and <clears throat> talk a little bit more about your relationships um tell me about team scott and how you've been involved in building that team yeah for me that's that's now the dream team um as i said I'm since 2003 and same, same team we are lucky we have yeah most of the sponsors are from the beginning uh part of it and you can take a lot of benefits out of such a long relationship uh, like with scott sports uh, but now also with sram and uh, you you know we also have to work a lot on our bikes to to improve them to make them better and if you have a long time relationship you actually mm. you can you can actually also build up something to to also have uh, work on your bike work on on, on your material or whatever and uh, also to know all the people there it makes it so much easier I at Scott Sports I, I know all the all the guys there and I if I have a problem with something I, I can call them and that makes mm. it so much easier and now in in our team the Scott Ram racing team we are like a family like uh, Frigi is leading it really well he's he's treating us like family members and um that's that's also like really nice to feel if it's not just we don't work just together because we work together we are mm. we could also be together because we are just friends and that makes it uh makes it so much nicer to actually spend that much time together he seems like a great leader you know he 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 seems to be able to get the best out of the athletes within the team but create an environment of, of, like you said, one of family and, and, and one of actually caring for each other and, and each other's performances. And, and when you spend so much time 
on the road traveling, you can all be tired, you can all be frustrated, you can, you know, be disappointed and all of these things. It, it could be difficult, you know, for, for anybody that understands professional athletes, they can get a bit emotional. And so to be a, to be a manager, to manage all those emotions of a team, it, it take, re, requires a, a great leader. And um, Fishy, he that's seems for, to do a very good job. Sure, for sure, yeah. a tough job. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> I, I'm, glad, I'm glad I don't have to do all that. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, yeah, we spend a lot, we spend almost 200 days a year together. You know, we travel to races, we go together to training camps and like, to have a good relationship with all the teammates and your staff members and um, mm. like to give everybody his role uh, in the group and uh, somehow also, yeah, get his, get his, uh, let me say that, his, his, uh, his place in the team where he feels, feels right. That's, that's a challenge. And I think that's, that's something mm. really, really difficult in every team you you work together to get to get a good team spirit and if you get get that you can also be successful as a team and then that's really something great if you can be successful as a team if it's not just one one member of the team is is successful if everybody feels he's part and everybody together can reach better results that's Mm. actually the coolest and yeah, we were able to experience that already a few times, like now at the Cape Patrick, where you really feel you are even more a team. And if then everybody is like doing well, you can push each other to, to even better results and the staff members are then really motivated to work. And that's, that's actually the moments that are the most uh, beautiful. Yeah, they're doing a fantastic job at Scott Schramm. I mean, just the the results that you're all getting, but the the way that you all talk to the media, you can sense that you 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 have great support and a great team behind you. And tell me a little bit about London Olympics. When, like you said, you've worked with Scott, and I think you you enjoy the the intricacies and the design and the development of, of the bikes and things. And you came out with one of the first twenty seven point five. Inch wheels, right? I mean, you you were mm-hmm. one of the pioneers, and they developed that bike specifically for you for the London Olympic course. Am I am I correct in saying that? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. That was like, uh, yeah, in 2010, 2011, a lot of brands started to to move or start to to bring 29er bikes out, mm. but a lot of the, those bikes they were just blowing blowed up to bigger wheels like they took a 26 inch bike they blowed it up um and a lot of things didn't really work well then and i always liked was a bit yeah these bikes they're they're not working well for me and then we saw the, the course in london there was a lot of uh cor- like sharp turns and we had we had to this time the idea we have a lot of accelerations and uh uh, we didn't believe in the 29ers to this time because they weren't so great bikes to this time. Um, and that's why we actually came out with the 27-inch uh, bikes mm. that is now today a standard. We have been one of the really first bringing out bikes that, and now we we actually we almost created a, a new standard in wheel size. Mm. Today, I, I must I, say, a lot of the a lot of the bikes uh, now the the new twenty nine they actually got built around the wheels, and the mm. geometry is today uh, right and 
today I must say 29 is, is, is the best choice. But to this time, I still believe we had the better bike with 27 and a half inch uh, uh, wheels. But well, I think you described that very well. <laughs> I mean, they had the wheels, and but they didn't change the frames for them, and so they, yeah, they don't didn't function function well at the time. But I just, I love that you're working with a company that truly they weren't just writing you a check and saying away you go they they truly wanted the very very best for you and and they put a lot of great minds together the great engineers and and people that are all trying to figure out how do we make it work best for you and and that's what i see within your team so we've mentioned you know your coach nicholas we've you know thomas the engineers at scott building your bikes your me- mechanic yannick and then you've you've got your your family life uh uh, Nina and your daughter, correct, at home, and yeah. they're big, big fans, big supporters. I, I have to mention anybody that hasn't seen the most recent Scott TV commercial. I don't. Mm-hmm. I it almost brought a tear to my eye with it with my own sort of mm-hmm. two and a half year old daughter, and um, and there's this great commercial with you and and your daughter uh, Lisa riding mountain bikes together, and it's just it's a beautiful commercial for those that haven't seen it. Google it if if you want. On a, it's a Scott mm-hmm. TV commercial um is that it's on my instagram account you guys is it really yeah tell everybody go check it out there but uh you know your family your mum and dad and 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 your wife nina they've been great supporters for you along all the way along yeah i think family is the most important thing you know if um everything just makes sense if you if you have a yeah good good family good people around you and the um, if you're just competing well and you don't enjoy the time back home, it's also mm. not worth it. So I, I was glad I had the best parents. I, yeah, we had great moments as kids back home and I, I, I had a really nice childhood. And now, yeah, I have a great life. Uh, I really enjoyed the time up with, with, my, with my daughter and uh, yeah, it's 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 great to yeah to have such good people around and uh, mm. yeah. I'm really are they, are they on the road for you? Those, yeah? Do they come on the road with you at all when you when you are traveling to all yeah. these races around the world? They do. Yeah. Yeah, they they do. Like yeah, my parents, even they come still to a lot of races. Like back in mm-hmm. the days, there was like my mom came with me to races and my dad went to with my brother to races. It was like for, <laughs> for a time, it was almost a bit <laughs> too yeah. much, but they always supported us. And uh, that was, was great to get, to feel that, that feedback or that support from your parents. And they also really enjoyed the ride bikes. And, yeah. And now as well, my, my wife, if she can now, since we have our, our daughter, Lisa, it's, they come a bit less, but, before she came to to many races, and if it's now close by, they they come into the races, or if they can't, they they watch it, uh, uh, try to watch it in, in TV or uh, online. And uh, but they're for sure my biggest uh, supporters. Yeah, I, I I'm fascinated. I think one of the things that that your legacy is going to leave behind, um, and I'm not saying you're retiring anytime soon. Actually, I think you've still got five to ten years if you want it. But anyway. I, I think well, one of your great ten, ten years is a bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see what happens if they keep postponing these Olympics. Yeah, we'll have yeah to see, maybe. But, um, we'll postpone for the next uh, ten years. Maybe I keep going. 
but I think your legacy will show that your ability to work with a great team. I think I think we're going to see that not only your resume for you, but you were surrounded by the greats. And, and when I consult and work with other athletes and, and people, often we often start with saying, let's build your team. We don't start with sleep or nutrition or training programs or body work or anything else. It's like, let's develop the right team. Let's surround you with the right people that are all experts at what they do and they want the best for you. And, and I think you've done that very, very well. I think you're an individual that maybe is a magnet for those kind of people that people want the best for you. Um, you know, and, and I think that's what I've loved about your journey so far is this, this great loyalty you have to them and that they have to you. And um, I think it's fantastic. I, but I think that's also like something that's uh, really uh, important that you also uh, take care about your stuff. And I think that's for me almost the most difficult to, to give, give everybody that helps you actually also that that feeling is part and that feeling mm. is important. I think that's for an athlete. You you can forget that quite easy because every everybody tries to optimize you and he mm. thinks about you, how you can be better. But as an athlete, you also need to, to always think, uh, how how can you create that, that team spirit? How can you create that everybody mm. feels feels actually part to be uh, to be on that journey and um, mm. I'm also sometimes struggling on that and to or I, I yeah to just always think about your all your people that help you actually because mm. it's a lot of people it's like it's like <laughs> yes <laughs> now we just mentioned so far the, the really most important but there is like so many people that helps you uh, maybe just a little bit, but it's also part of it, and um, that's hard hard to to really always keep and try to to, to take part everybody uh, in the team. Yeah, well, I think you're doing a pretty good job with recognizing all of these people. And right now, I just want to look at more how you're living your life today, and and the steps that you're taking to optimize yourself. And the the first sort of thing I want to ask you about is your sleep and your recovery and, and, and how are you doing anything special when it comes to sleep? Are you using those cooling pads? Are you doing, you know, is there a, a certain temperature you like to have, or are you just somebody that look, I can turn off the light and go to sleep and, and it's not a big deal. And, and do you nap during the day and all that kind of thing? Mm, I have quite a good sleep, but, but that don't do anything special. I think there's also like to, you need to find somehow the balance. Sometimes if I, if I have some problems, probably then because I don't have the balance anymore. Like if you, if something gets a bit too extreme, but I, mm. I try as well to, yeah, to somehow manage to, to, to keep everything balanced, that you are not stressed, that you get enough sleep, sleep, I think is is really the most important or is the most important thing in, in recovery. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I sleep for sure eight to up to nine hours every night. And uh, I think that everybody that is working hard on, on himself, he needs to, to have a good sleep. Yeah. But I never nap during the day. <laughs> I can't nap. It's like... I try to go to sleep during the day if impossible, even if I train really hard, there's, there's no way I can sleep during the day. <laughs> yeah, I was much the same. I was never much of a, a, a napper during the day. And if I did nap, it would actually hurt my sleep at night. So I was like, oh, I don't think I want to do that. But yeah. I, how did you manage that when, when Lisa was a newborn? 
did you 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 move to another room? I'm I'm only asking this because <laughs> I'm obviously going through a newborn phase right now, and my wife and I, and I'm always curious how did professional athletes manage to to do that with a, with a brand newborn baby? And that was leading into the Olympics, wasn't it? Was she born that year? Yeah, she was born a, a year before. Yeah, and, yeah. Now uh, I was lucky. She was she was yeah. At the beginning, she she also got up a, f- a few times during night, but I never had the feeling really. It takes me some of my recovery, even if I went, I got up a few times, and not just all my wife did. I I also went up a lot, and and. Uh, but I never had the feeling I get less recovery because of that. I, I even I've always had the feeling it gives me more back than I really have to give if if I maybe sleep then for a while not and then. I, mm-hmm. But I always made sure that the total time of sleep is still enough. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But if if you go early enough to bed, then um, yeah, you also can get up three, four times a night and. Uh, still get enough sleep and yeah. but You're i don't know every kid is different you know it's I you got a trick <laughs> yeah. you know what we call the trick baby where they're like yeah. they trick you into having another one because oh that wasn't too bad <laughs> <laughs> um, with your nutrition how's that over the over the years and um and and how have you how do you look at your nutrition now? Are you getting blood work done? Did you do some DNA work? And over the last sort of 20 years of your professional career, how has that changed? I've had guests on here from, you know, that were Ironman champions in the 80s and early 90s, and we talk about carbo-loading parties, and it was all about carbs. And now we're all like 180 degrees going, well, it's actually about fat and protein and some carbs and gluten-free this, organic this. How are you doing? Yeah, I also changed – changed uh, already a few times and uh changed quite a lot since like at the beginnings i i never i probably wasn't really wasn't or really didn't knew how how important it is and then towards rio i really started as well to to optimize that actually was after london as well that i tried to optimize my my nutrition I did some blood testing and different kind of stuff and uh, tried to optimize everything. And uh, yeah, just recently I, I got more and more into it. I started to read a lot of books about, about nutrition and today something I'm really, I'm really into it. And uh, I also quite enjoy to, to really optimize the, the nutrition and yeah, I think uh, it's what it's one of the most important thing as an athlete, but that you take care of what you what you eat and when you eat what. Uh, yeah. Like what you've heard so far, then make sure you never miss a podcast by clicking the subscribe button now. This show is only made possible by you, the listener, and if you'd like to support Greg, please visit the Be with Champions Patreon page. Your support very much appreciated now back to the show are you doing sort of a higher fat diet although your events are so short and powerful i mean you have to still get the carbs in right are you, are you sort of doing carbs before you go out and train and then training uh, on that or training on fat or it depends on the time of year first of all i really try to have the best possible products that i eat so i try to get the best uh, best, just the best food, like 
for sure uh, organic stuff uh, good stuff from from the region where you know where it's coming from and uh, um, I think that's the biggest problem today that a lot of food is not really the food that it was uh, hundred years ago so I think that's that's the biggest uh, biggest problem or the biggest concern I have right or today um, what I do for sure I try to to get my uh, protein in as an athlete, I think it's it's almost it's quite hard to get the amount of protein you you actually need um, to make sure to to um, yeah feed your feed your muscles with with the nutrition it needs. But then for sure, it's mountain bike is a high intense sport, and before you do hard workouts, uh, it's more carb orientated um and afterwards it's more uh, protein orientated mm. and um yeah so but i also like i changed like some two years ago i was really i did those blood tests and i then my blood did a lot of things showed uh, that all the grains with gluten it doesn't show that it's so good for myself and but today i i try more really to to have just good products i think that's the most important thing like if you eat the grain that's it's still a grain uh that that uh was grown uh, there was no money manipulated and uh, like if you eat the bread that it also had the time to to um how do you say that to uh, like a lot of bread is now today like they just need to make it as quick as possible and it's not a proper br- uh, bread anymore and i think today i really just try to to uh, just get good products and uh, still as as natural as possible my wife and i uh, laura my wife was also a professional athlete and, and i think we went through a lot of our career kind of almost just fueling with whatever we could get to some degree i think you're so tired as athletes and you've got this big fire burning in your belly because you're training so hard that you tend to be able to chew anything and anything and, and since we retired i think we've even taken our nutrition another level and especially my wife now she's breastfeeding she's taking nutrition on a whole nother level but basically we, we kind of look at it like you said buy organic and buy local as much as you can in the in the region i think that that's really great and then if you're coming to your proteins you you know grass-fed and finish your meat um don't buy farmed fish you know all of those kinds of things can really can really help just the way you're going to feel every single day. Mm. And, uh, and now I just want to move on to one of the things that I'm fascinated by, and that is your training. Um, it looks to me like you do a lot of testing. Um, it seems, and this may be just <laughs> what comes out on online or whatever, but you, you, you do a lot of, um, you know, I see you on the bike on that huge treadmill that you have um, at the, I don't know where that is at the Sports Institute or, or where that is, but your VO2, you're testing all the time. Um, tell me a little about your overall season sort of training, and then we'll, we'll look at it in more, a little bit more detail if you can. Um, I, I don't do that many testing. I do actually two, two per year, like one. <laughs> well, there we go. <laughs> yeah. And I would say I, I, I really don't, I, I really don't like those, uh, oh, those tests. Are, <laughs> ah, that's the worst. <laughs> every, day, every time. Every time when I go there, I say, next year I'm not coming anymore. <laughs> then you got some guy yelling at you to get harder and his mask off. You don't even yeah, feel like you're uncomfortable. And, no, we used to do a lot of it back in Australia in the 
late nineties and early noughties. And uh, no, I don't think I ever went back. <laughs> career, I was like, no. Nah. But for sure, it's it's good to actually see where you're standing. It's also now for me nice. I have night. I can go back my whole career and see how I actually. Yeah, we're able to increase as well everything over the, my career and, and always to see as well where I'm standing to to other years. And it's actually as soon as you did those tests, it's actually nice to have the, the results and to know you're, you're on the right way or you're not, you uh, are not, maybe not or whatever. And uh, it's actually great to have this possibility. We do that at the Swiss uh, Sports Institute in, in Mockling. They're really... They're really uh, um, doing a great job there. They're doing as well with other with other sports there, and I think they have a really big knowledge, and uh, that's that's something we can take a big advantage from. And um, and so yeah, we do one uh, before the season starts when I actually start to build up, and then I do another test just before the first competitions to see how how I worked over this period to actually build up. Did, did my body respond to that? Um, also to see I, if I lost weight or if I, I was able to, to build up weight. And that's all quite interesting stuff that also can help you then to, to where you have to work more if you have even, yeah, like if you need to work on your threshold or your new Vima to max or, um, that's yeah, great stuff you can, can test today and uh, then take uh, advantage of it. I always say when I'm looking at young athletes coming in and um, I think passion and discipline and dedication and all those things can take you a long way, but I'm still a big believer if you can't put in what God left out and uh, you do need to have some form of talent you know, uh, and a reasonable engine, you know, I, your VO2 max and a reasonable threshold is, is critical for, for performance. Are you willing to share what your VO2 is? I don't like to share those oh, numbers no, because you, you know what? It's like, it always depends. What no, no, we no. also saw there, like it depends really. There's a lot of numbers out there that just, you know, they, they are wrong. And oh, absolutely! Absolutely. And like, like with with putting out numbers, then some people are just doing trying to compare this and this. But you know, if if you haven't tested at the same lab with the same technique, you will get different numbers. And even if I say now my numbers here, then people are starting to compare my numbers with others, and it's you like don't have to uh, tell me anything. I totally yeah. get it. I kind of laugh because I remember putting a um I put a tweet out. This is probably before Instagram. This is back in 2011 I think and uh I'd won this, you know, the world championship non-drafting triathlon in in high V. Uh-huh. It was an official world championship, you know, it was just a big money race that they Anyway, I um I actually went around it had 88 corners in this, you know, 40 kilometer uh bike uh-huh. ride, but I averaged 290 watts which is incredibly low. And my SRM at the time was uh, different than the one I'd had years previous where, you know, the wattages were much higher. But this mm-hmm. one, for whatever reason, had read low, low, low. So I, I decided to put it out on Twitter to tell everybody, look, I, I actually averaged 280 watts for this this ride and people were freaking out about it. I just said, no, that's just mm-hmm. how aerodynamic I was. It was just I was so efficient. <laughs> so everybody was about 
especially back then, maybe it's decreased now about throwing numbers yeah, about about what's today, there. Today, like with the, the possibilities you have today with power meters, it's it's crazy and so helpful as well for training. But what we actually also always check there at the Swiss uh, Sports Institute is like the accuracy of our power meters. Yeah. And that, it's like you you see with all different kinds of products, you can get the yeah you can get the most expensive power meter. There are some products that are showing crazy wrong numbers. And if you now like, especially if people are now sharing like numbers from races mm. and. Even sometimes I see now numbers from from races that I was racing in the same race, and some of a sudden they showing much higher numbers than I had, and I won the race. And then I was like, yeah, yeah. So power meter is great to compete uh, to compare your numbers with your to yeah. actually to try to optimize your training. But it's it's you need to be really careful to. To compare numbers from from one power meter to the other power meter. Absolutely, yeah. and and when you look at your year with Nicholas, is there a certain amount of time that you guys kind of look at going? We're going to do this much endurance and this much intensity. I feel like for a mountain biker compared to a, a cyclist on the road, you guys have to have that much more power and change of pace and the and the ability to recover very very quickly. How does that? when you look at your overall program and look at going how much endurance type work we're going to do on the road or indoor bike compared to doing intensity, how, how does that change throughout the year? Um, I, I am actually doing it almost the same since 15 years. Like I there <laughs> as well, like my, my coach really had from the beginning days idea and today mm. um, I'm still doing almost uh, a similar similar thing what today like i must say what the biggest change actually got when we were able to train with power meters before mm. you always were like like with just training with heart rate you're almost just more like guessing now you're working now on your threshold you're probably now working on your vip two marks but the reality is if you go after after heart rate you probably start way too hard and towards the end uh, you're uh, much lower um, so that changed our training probably the most when we started to to train with with power meters a, a few years ago. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's like we do a lot of interval training. Mountain bike is a lot of really hard, intense uh, racing. Um, it's like I would say twenty percent is of my rides are interval uh, or high wow. intensity uh, interval trainings. Um, then as well, like 20, around twenty percent is 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 force training. Uh, we we actually saw early already that force is really important, also to to um, yeah to force as well for your legs, for your core as well, upper body. If you know if you ride a rough downhill down, you need a lot of your upper body. Um, as well, if you go steep uphills, you go out of the saddle, you you are pulling hard on your handlebar and there you also need to train your upper body for that. And that's why and, I love uh, your, your, your little Hunt for Glory mm -hmm. series of shows and that I just looked it up, that chapter nine, part one and two with that upper body and core work that you do is is really incredible. And and for anybody that does ride mountain bikes, whether you be professional age, age grouper or even, you know, a lot of my audience are triathletes that do it, do it a little bit on the side and it really is the more you can kind of get that core work stability. It's amazing how much that can 
help you with your fatigue overall on the on the mountain bike and um yeah, especially I'm, mountain bike you know like you 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 have to sometimes a steep uphill you know you like you ride a really low cadence and you you but you have a high power on them and then you need to be able to hold that not to get with the time back problems there's a lot of a lot of even professionals that have back problems and i'm sure they're working not enough on, on their on their core um to hold actually all their power they they train their legs to get stronger and stronger but then they forget to to actually also train their, their core and just their the base fitness of of your body and the, it's a, the core and the balance that goes with it. I, I laugh because most of the crashes I've had have actually been going uphill. <laughs> when I just balance right on the bike, you know, I go up a steep thing and suddenly I'm flying backwards because I haven't got my weight over over the front wheel enough. And it's kind of like I think there's a lot of that balance that you you do. And I, I, I'm fascinated actually how many of your competitors have gone and looked at all your gym workouts that you were doing in those videos, and how many of them have gone, hang on. If Nino's doing that, I better go add that to my, to my own training. Are you doing much altitude work? Do you go up into the mountains, or do you have an altitude tent? Um, yeah, for sure. If, if I know there's a competition on altitude, that's everybody um, is there the same, or that's actually a knowledge that everybody is agreeing on it. That if an, uh, an event is on altitude, you have great benefit of of preparing in altitude. Now I I tried out both um, do also now for just like a, an altitude training for competitions on on lower on, on low sea level or um, is uh, I tried out both and both worked really well but uh, so in some seasons I decide uh, I'm going to do it some not uh, and but I had some really good. Um, good uh um how you say uh good uh good improvements with doing altitude training but i think it's it's also important that you that you get a good good setting if you know if you go somewhere high up and then the weather is bad and then you can't train as good as as you could train down in the valley then you probably don't take that big advantage but if everything is perfect you have a good place to stay you have a great training uh place uh weather is good it's not too cold you don't take risks to to get a cold uh, i think then then you can take great benefit of that but everything needs to be be right and you as well you need to be to check that that you really are re also feed it well and you have enough of everything in your blood to also really and take benefit of it. At the end of the day, it's altitude is an extra stress on your body. And when yeah. we overcome stresses, <laughs> that's when we get stronger. But if stress gets I the had, better of we, we fall I in did, a heap. <laughs> I what I had we did before Rio as well. Like the one season before uh, I went to altitude and then because there 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 are athletes that actually take no benefits of altitude training. And I really wanted to know if I'm one that really takes benefit of it. So uh, we measured actually my, my blood volume before and after. And the year before the, the games, I actually took big benefit and had an increase of 4% uh, more uh, bl blood volume. And uh, every player said, yeah, I have to go uh, and do that as well before Rio. 
and then uh, I went and did a long altitude training before uh, before Rio, and they just said, yeah, they would just want to have the numbers to see uh, afterwards, um, and they also we did the testing before and after, and then I was a bit surprised. They never told me the numbers afterwards, and then after the race was was over in Rio, they said this year you had no effect of the altitude <laughs> training. You had so oh, that- I was like. Glad you guys didn't tell me that before the race. <laughs> you don't want to know anything like that, especially as you're just getting. It's fine if you've got time. But to do you know, something. maybe I, I was just. It was a bit too much stress, or yeah, yeah. maybe something was, and then the body wasn't able actually to to make this adapt adapt adaptation um, of altitude, and so. But in the end. Maybe just mentally for my my head it was still good. Uh, I yeah I was in altitude probably I took an advantage as I yeah. did the year before so I must be strong now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it did work as a placebo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Didn't Boulder, Colorado, or we still do, but um, yeah, Colorado is about I don't know seventeen hundred meters I think uh, five and a half thousand feet yeah. and. Uh, so training there wasn't too bad and we could ride up to 9,000 feet. But I got to the point where after several years of living there that I certainly didn't feel like I was getting any benefits there. We we would come back from Australia doing training camps, come back up. And the first two weeks, we always took very easy, even at Boulder. We just said, keep it aerobic and very easy. And then the next four weeks, we gradually built. And we always felt by six weeks, we were getting the adjusted and our body had mm-hmm. made its changes necessary. But it always took about six weeks. And and then what I did towards the end of my career is I, I added a, a, an altitude tent. So I would sleep at the altitude tent up and I'd build it over a, a month or so up to about 12,000 feet and sleep in that and then train at the five to 6,000 feet. And for a number of years there, I actually did feel somewhat invincible when I went down to, to sea level, especially in the swim more so than almost anything else. And I think the swim, because your head's stuck underwater and you're only getting the occasional breath. Um, And so I really felt the benefits when I went to to sea level from the altitude. But my wife, who tried to do it, it really just exhausted her and and often put her in a bit of a hole. So it was kind of weighing up the benefits of it, going, is it it worth it? Nice to think it was worth it for about a six to eight-week push phase to really you know throw in a bit of altitude but yeah like, i think you it's uh, every athlete as well like reacting different and everybody yeah, needs to to find his his way or you need to as well to, to feel comfortable where you are and i think just then you can also get this mm. this benefit from from all kind of different kind of training techniques whatever you want to uh, and are you do you uh, get a lot of body work each week, massage therapist, dry needling, acupuncture, a chiropractor, anything like that. If if you're on the road, like with traveling with the team, then yeah, we get almost everyday treatments. Uh, from Julia, our uh, our physio, um, I think especially if you are traveling, you know, if you sit in cars, you're flying, it's great mm. to to get as quick as possible at everything out. If you're training hard or, or if you compete, it's it's really important to. Yeah, to take care after after your body. If if I'm back home and training, I get uh, for sure once a week a treatment, and I do other kind other kind of techniques back home just to for recovery. Like I have compression boots. I do a lot of with uh, on on, 
on a black roll, um, um, do a lot of stretching. I think all those those things uh, to take care of your body. It's it's important, and uh, you have to do that as well. Huh? Yeah, no, I, I I agree. I think uh, you know we we look, we got to the point. You know, I retired when I was forty four, and those last three to four years, basically every afternoon was spent on a table. <laughs> I think that's where I got exhausted. Actually, I, I love the, the training. The training for me, a bit like you, I, I think you look like somebody that just loves to ride a bike, loves to do the workouts. As much as sometimes they're brutal and hard, you, there's still a real joy in doing the work but what actually caused me to retire was not my love of racing or, or hard training it was i don't want to be prodded anymore or pushed or pulled or uh, you know having an epsom salt bath to start the day and then doing some trigger point you know therapy massage yeah. rolling myself and then you know go out for a 5k jog or whatever it was like it took so long to get the body warmed up and loose that it, it really took away from the fun stuff and um you know, but it, but it was a necessity throughout my career. But it just became more and more of a necessity once I got into my forties, um, and and it took the joy away from from the racing itself. And yeah, it, you- it takes a lot of like mm-hmm. to to get really the, all, the best out of you, and yeah, at one yeah. point it gets can, can get too much. And yeah, are you are you supplementing with anything at the moment for your general health? Do you you know magnesium or vitamin D or, or anything like I that? I also you- like I. I also go twice a year for sure check that I don't have any uh, something that I don't have enough. Uh, so and then yeah, I, try, I supplement some of some of them or yeah. something that is I think really important for everybody. Everybody is like, especially if you live in a county where you in which don't have that much sun, is like vitamin vitamin D. So. <laughs> You know, in Switzerland in winter, we don't get too much sun. And I think that's that's something uh, almost everybody has to supplement. Yeah, I'm um, worried about okay. on in, in lockdown in some of these villages, you know, and, um, and just, you know, we need to yeah. get D out to all these people that are, you know, uh, at the moment in lockdown and not able to leave their houses or apartments um, or, or there's minimal sunlight, like you said. I think, uh, you know, vitamin D, the magnesium glycinate, I think mm. is fantastic um obviously your omegas um pump those into yourselves but uh yeah now i just quickly want to touch on i know i've kept you for quite a while mate and i really appreciate you chatting mm-hmm. to me i know you've got a family there that are probably like what are you doing dad but one <laughs> of the things that you seem to have a unique gift at that you seem to just own is your your mental strategies you, your ability to to visualize your ability to to calm the mind um and prepare yourself for major championships or major wow. events. Can you tell me a little bit about some of your techniques that you've been able to to develop that visualizing? Because a lot of people struggle with it. Is there any kind of way that you can help, mm-hmm. help us learn how you can visualize? Hmm. I it's probably one of my biggest talents talents mm-hmm. like to to um, my mental strength. Um, but what I do, like the technique that I do, I for sure I like try to visualize the track, the race. Like first of all, like how I ride it, like technical sections, how I want to ride. I try to to imagine myself how to go there through, and I see myself going through that section. But then I also try to to realize how the race is going, how I get through the through the start loop, how I get how I want to see me do that race, and I think. Mm-hmm. There, it also has then a lot to do with self confidence. If you can 
actually see yourself, how you compete well, how you manage this situation, or even if you how you can win that race. Mm. If you are able to imagine that in your head and really think that could happen, then you are really close to to actually also be able to to do it. Mm. Um, and that's like that's what I do before races and um, and for me, myself it's also it helps a lot to get calm like just to to know I prepared everything as good as possible to know I I did everything on my way to get there I tried everything with what I was thinking it's important and then I can stand at the start line and say. Now I did everything. Now I need as well a, a lot of good luck. Um, but f- from my side, I did everything. And that helps a lot to build mm. up as well then in the end your self-confidence. And I think you practice that over time, those word affirmations. You know, I've done everything I can. I'm prepared. This is, you know, let, let the chips fall where they may. But I've done every, everything I possibly can. And one of, one of my interests is really to visualize to the point where you can affect yourself emotionally, which is affecting your hormones, which is then affecting you physically. And I, I think there's, we often laugh about, oh, can you go train for me? I'm, I'm, I'm done. But there, there is something to the ability of just lying on a massage table and, and visualizing yourself doing what you need to get done. And the effect that with a strong visual, you can actually affect yourself hormonally, which in doing so affects you physically. You actually making the changes necessary your body can go about it without you actually having to go out and exert yourself that you can actually have a physical change and and i think some of the great athletes in the world like yourself have this almost innately other people have to maybe learn it and it's a step process i know with my wife i often would run next to her during her workouts and i'd commentate and so (laughs) you know we'd running at the Olympics or whatever, and I'd be a commentator saying, it's Laura Bennett, you know, we have two kilometers to go, stand up America, this is, you know, and, and create this real enthusiasm <laughs> around the training. And, and it was amazing how much more she could get out of herself when we finish off these these workouts. Mm. But it wasn't something that she was very comfortable with. And maybe you and I are just dreamers or something, or maybe we like to live in our own heads. I don't know what it is, <laughs> but I think it's a it's it's something that you obviously recognize within yourself as being a gift. And I think it is a, an amazing gift to have, to be able to see what you want, to be able to then calm yourself on the start line and know that what you've done, um, you know, because dealing with those race nerves or, or excitement is, is is not easy. But you sound, you, you're somebody that seems very even keeled. You're either a 10 out of 10 when you're on the race course or you can step away and be a zero, which I think is a great champion, the ability to not live in the three, four, five, six range, sort of going but not really doing anything well. You tend to be able to live at a 10 or a zero, switch on, switch off, and I think that's remarkable. Um, yeah, I think that's that technique you just uh, mentioned, that's something really important. Like If you can imagine to do that and to get actually almost those emotions, like mm. – if if I now think about the the race in Tokyo, I, I always like I almost can get already now those goosebumps and this feeling I ah, did well. If you, and if you are able to do that and you go then to this place and you actually feel that energy automatically again, um, that is is something you can take great benefits out of it.
And it's like painting a picture, isn't it? I, I, I for one, like to visualize the the sounds, you know, the helicopter, the crowd, um, the other athletes around me nervously, you know, getting themselves prepared. Um, who are the major players that I'm going to be up against? Then visualizing the course itself, the weather, the conditions, you know, taking off the ice vest right before the start because, you know, it's going to be really hot. And, so you can take yourself through the whole process of warm up through the race itself and, and the smells and everything else, you know, Japan has a, a different kind of smell all of these things that you can can visualize to get yourself ready i i used to be so good at it that my wife laura would say greg you're not allowed to visualize in january february march because you go too hard too early in the season so we we used to postpone my visualizing until later because it had such an effect on me that it it uh it worked negatively i'd, I'd be injured by april because i went too hard so, um, yeah it's fantastic your ability be able to do that and just to wrap up the the show is there any kind of um gear recommendations you know you've you've mentioned scott you've worked with forever providing the the spark is it the spark 900 what are they up to now the um Um, yeah i'm riding a scott spark 900 29 inch wheels um with uh, all SRAM components like drivetrain SRAM, uh, with the AX is um, drivetrain, um, rock shock suspension, and I think what today almost is really important is like the right tire choice mm-hmm. to have a good tire, a wide tire that gives you so much uh, benefit. So have a have a have a good bike like a Scott Spark with the right tires. It's it's a weapon, yeah. and uh, you you will love it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I've I've looked at this uh, the the Scott bikes for for many many years, and um, they're, they're a beautiful machine. What what tires do you prefer to ride? I right now uh, Maxxis tires. Like mostly, I ride the Aspen. It's quite a a fast rolling tire, but I ride it quite wide with a two point four wide tire, and that wow. you can ride with really low pressure. And uh, the low pressure is actually nice to 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 get you 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 have more comfort more grip you feel much more safer on the bike because you have like the bigger tire gives you so much uh, more more grip and traction and the cool thing is also that a lot of people think yeah but then it's rolling not as fast but a wide tire is even rolling faster and you have the only um, um, a negative aspect is that it's a bit heavier but uh, the weight we saw more and more it's not as important as as the performance uh, of of the bike or the tire or whatever and uh, that's that's a good uh, recommendation get you some wide tires where you can ride low pressure and uh, you will ride much better your bike I appreciate that I actually just personally for myself I appreciate that so thanks for the, it's funny how we've changed so much you know I remember even on the in the triathlon stuff everything was had to be for the road bike was like a, a 19 millimeter tire pumped up to 160 psi or whatever it was and and it was like now we're we're going to okay 22 23 millimeter 24 just getting wider and wider tighter yeah. it's also on the road now they're running yeah. more and more wider tires because mm. they also saw like rolling resistance uh is getting better with with wider tires fantastic like that it changed a lot in or uh, in the past year the only thing on the road or like on time trial 
uh, you are not as aerodynamic anymore if you have a wide tire in the front. So you can think about to have in the front a bit uh, a, uh, a smaller tire than in the back and take the advantage from a wider tire in the back. And what about nutrition? Are you working with anybody specifically? Um, we have a great partner like with uh, Sponsor Sports Foods. That's a Swiss Swiss brand and uh, it's Swiss Swiss quality and they they doing uh, amazing products for doing race but also afterwards uh, for recovery. Uh, they do all, also as well a lot of uh, supplements kind of stuff and it's actually a really cool brand. I can recommend everybody sponsored for sports food. That's it's uh, some of the best. I've used that a fair bit actually when we raced in Switzerland and, uh, and nearly every Swiss athlete I know has sponsor as a sponsor. <laughs> so <they laughs> it's, a, it's a really popular brand in Switzerland. And they, yeah, but yeah. they're also uh, starting more and more to, to be worldwide. And to, I don't know if... Wherever you're listening to this, maybe you also can get it. All over, mate. <laughs> Europe, we're all over. And uh, okay, one sort of final little tip. You know, what, what about training locations or any specific events that, you know, if people are getting into mountain biking or love mountain biking, but they really must do event or must do training location. Is there any, any recommendations? Yeah, one uh, for sure is Switzerland. I think it's one of the most beautiful counters to ride your bike. Uh, there's there's a unique um, trail network. It's like trail uh, hiking trail uh, network, but where you can ride on. And there's now a lot of like regions built special trails for mountain biking. And I think in Switzerland you can find awesome trails to ride your bike. And uh, um, every mountain biker should once visit the the most beautiful places in Switzerland uh, to ride uh, their bikes uh, from the south of Switzerland, from around Lugano, but also where I'm staying in Galbünden. There's really a lot of uh, riding. But what I also a place I really uh, can recommend now is South Africa. They they have a, a lot of good riding down there, and it's it's also a beautiful country. And, uh, that's as well why I'm spending a lot of training camps down in, in South Africa. Awesome. And events, there are there are so many good events. I'm I, a lot of them I also could couldn't uh, take part uh, so far because I'm still busy racing uh, World Cup races, but. I think there are uh, plenty of great events, like starting with a Cape Epic, what's uh, for sure something that every mountain biker um, should uh, think about. But I think also like a, a BC race uh, or a Brazil ride or some, yeah, as well. There's a lot of cool races in Switzerland, the Swiss Epic. Um, I think there are plenty of great events. And uh, um, yeah. Go and check them out with your friends. That's that's the most fun. <laughs> I've been looking at the Swiss Epic. I I spent a lot, a lot many years in the nineties living in Switzerland in uh, a town called Leysin, just above uh, yeah. Montreux, um, and then a, a year in a place called the Valley du Jour on the on the border of France. Um, and and so some, but for road riding, it was fantastic back then. I, I wasn't on a mountain bike at the time, but. It was just an incredible it's part of the world. even better on the mountain bike there. There's some nice right? mountains. <laughs> oh, if 
funny I'd known. It's funny, you know, I was into mountain biking in the late 80s when it had just sort of taken off. And, you know, I remember the first suspensions coming out and it was really into it. And then I sort of started to make a couple of little paychecks from triathlon sort of in the early 90s. And I'm like, ah, uh, I should probably put the mountain bike away in, in, in case, um, you know, I, I can't afford to crash or whatever. And then it was, it took, you know, until uh, 2016 to get back on the, on the mountain biking. And uh, boy, I've loved it. It's like, I enjoy getting on the road. I tell you what, um, with people texting and driving in their cars on their phones, I just I think it's almost safer to be on a mountain bike these days. So I'll, I'll definitely. But you know, listen. that's that's anyway like on the mountain bike, you're always much safer than on the road because the the, the biggest danger when you go riding is like cars and traffic, and I think that's that's where also the the most accidents are happened. And yeah. so that's I think it's something why we see more and more people moving to the mountain bike because a lot of, in a lot of places on the world food is ready yeah just to finish up this this uh question yeah i think like in a lot of places on that world traffic is getting worse and worse and uh that's a good reason why, yeah, why you should maybe, yeah, go uh, go on the mountain bike and go a bit away from from the dangerous cars. Mate, it has been a real thrill and a real pleasure to have you join me on the show today and, and have this chat. You have no idea. I'm, I'm a fan, and so it's uh, it really has been special for you to share so much with me. Normally, I would ask at this point, what are your plans for the year? But I think because it's all so unknown, I think we'll just <laughs> leave it at that. Yeah. And. I, I don't know what my plans are this year. So no, exactly. Let's yeah, hope there's. I soon get some plan. No, <laughs> it, was, no. it was great to chat with you. Uh, yeah. Thanks for it. Yeah, stay healthy, uh, mate. And where can people follow you? Just Nino Scherter on Instagram. Is that you know, and Twitter, or is that how they follow you? Um, yeah, I'm using using the most uh, Instagram. I'm just about as well to to share soon some new videos about my training, um, uh, what we also talked before about my gym works, and uh, we are just Brilliant. about to release some some new stuff. And uh, just follow me on Instagram. Uh, my my account is uh, n shorter, um, and you're going to find me there. And yeah, thanks for listening. I hope uh, you enjoyed yeah. it. All right, thanks everybody for listening. That was Nino Schurter. Thanks a lot for listening to Be With Champions. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Be With Champions Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.